0: Jeff Rath. Wow. I feel very honored. Good evening, everybody. It's Chris here from the Stop Cafe in Mir, Alberta, and I am hosting the Alberta Prosperity Project webinar uh, tonight with Mr. Jeff Rath. And tonight's webinar is entitled Dr. Teresa Tam's Magic Climate Elixir with Jeffrey Rath. And this is based on a Substack article uh, Jeff posted recently. Uh, So thanks, Jeff, for joining us tonight. It's great to see you again, and I'm really looking forward to uh, hearing what you have to say about our friend, Teresa Tam's climate and health policy ideas. Well, hey, Chris,
1: welcome. Uh, Thanks for welcoming me to the show and having me on tonight. Um, You know, looking forward to chatting with you
0: about uh, yet the latest stupidity out of uh, our friends in Ottawa. Yeah, and that is absolutely the proper word. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Jeff Rath is one of the first lawyers who really stood up and got vocal about the uh, blundering, how the government was, was they were bungling the handling of the COVID-19 pandemic, or so they said it was. Um, so Jeff is a, uh, a constitutional lawyer. He's a constitutional expert, and he's argued in front of the Supreme Court successfully. So he's been around the block a time or two. He really knows what he's talking about, and he's got his thumb on the pulse of what's going on probably more than most other people. So having Jeff on to talk about this latest, um, verbal diarrhea tirade from Teresa Tam, uh, it's going to be a great show. So Jeff, uh, do you want to just, maybe for those who don't know who you are, you want to just give a quick synopsis of who you are, what, what you're all about? Yeah, sure. Chris. So, you know, by way of background, um, uh,
1: I have a law degree from an honors degree in law from the London school of economics. I've been practicing law in Alberta for over 32 years. Uh, and, you know, as Chris has indicated, you know, throughout the pandemic, you know, I've been involved in various constitutional challenges on behalf of clients with regard to what I consider to be you know, human rights abuses that have been perpetrated, uh, you know, against all of us as a people by, you know, all of the lunatics in the medical industrial complex, that you know want to have us vaccinated against our will, you know wear scraps of cloth, you know across our faces, a religious symbol of compliance rather than you know any bona fide medical for any bona fide medical purpose, you know, et cetera. So you know as Chris indicated, you know I follow these things you know fairly closely, and I've also been writing a Substack, you know for you know mainly for the entertainment of my friends and other people that I've been working with. Entitled, entertaining yeah entitled conspiracy facts with jeffrey rath and um this last week you know like a lot of you i've seen you know on social media and elsewhere comments about you know teresa tam um, you know commenting on a recent paper from uh you know members of public health agency of canada um you know basically saying that capitalism you know is a threat to public health because capitalism fuels climate change and I thought (laughs) kind of a weird slash ridiculous thought Um, you know and I guess confirms to me that Teresa Tam is uh, you know is more communist than she is doctor but I thought okay well let me dig into this and in digging into it I came across a document that Teresa Tam claims to have authored and released to the world uh, through the government of Canada Uh, on October 25th of 2022 entitled Mobilizing Public Health Action in Canada, um, Mm -hmm. um, which uh, at its heart basically claims that, you know, claims that climate change is the biggest threat to public health in the country. And of course, you know, I thought, wow, isn't that interesting? Um, You know, let me read what she has to say about this. And a lot of what she says is, well, climate change causes poverty, women and you know the biggest health problems for women and children um you know in canada are caused by poverty and then she goes on to say you know let's talk about the root causes of of climate change and this is so ridiculous i just need to read it to people in exactly
0: the way that she wrote it before you do jeff i got one thing i have to do i gotta interrupt you for just one moment sorry uh folks uh, i need you to do me a favor and jeff a favor and the app a favor and actually yourselves and your friends and neighbors as well I want you to take a moment to share this video to your page. Um, if you're a member of a group that's got a good following, share it to the group. And the reason for that is some people are going to watch this video and they're going to think, oh, you know, this doesn't affect me and it's going to be in the back of their mind. But what you're going to see over the next year or two, you're going to think back to this this uh, this um, <laughs> webinar and you're probably going to be like, aha, they were talking about this before. And we're going to Jeff is going to offer some solutions and we're going to offer some insight on it as well. So take a moment, share it to your pages, share it to your group, share it to your friends, your neighbors, your enemies, whatever, uh, like the, the the posting and stuff like that, and try and get it up in the priority so more people see it. Uh, you might not realize it right now, but this stuff is very, very important. And what we're talking about could very well influence or impact or affect your future in one way or another, uh, positive or negative. So it is worth your while to share it out. So thanks. Anyway, go ahead, Jeff. Okay, so anyway, getting back to Theresa Tam, but in my Substack,
1: I refer to her update to the Communist Manifesto, being her document entitled Mobilizing Public Health Action in Canada. Theresa Tam claims to have written, quote, climate change has wide-ranging impacts on physical and mental health, as well as on our ecological, social and economic environments. However, the nature and severity varies a great deal, influenced by determinants of health, e.g. income, employment, living, and working conditions, and structural systems of oppression, colonization, racism, ableism, and heteronormativity. As a result, in order to understand and address the health impacts of climate change, public health systems must prioritize a focus on equity and support the leadership of community. So equity. what he's actually saying, right, is that as far as she's concerned, two of, two of the bigger drivers of climate change are ableism, whatever that means. I take it that means, you know, being healthy and a sound mind and body. And what she calls heteronormativity, which I suppose means that you're a normal human being that's interested at some point in your life in having children and having a family and living a normal life in your family. And, you know, it's what we all need to internalize is that our federal government, Teresa Tam, uh, you know, as the representative, you know, see heteronorm- what they call heteronormativity or normal heterosexual people as a threat to the planet. Okay? And and I'm not understating this. You know, elsewhere in her document, she states climate change is the single biggest health threat facing humanity and livability on the planet, right? And again, you know, I'm more, I'm, we're, telling you, you better wake up. And I say in my, I say in my, uh, in my sack, wake up and smell the commie. Um, these people are a real threat to our way of life because at the end of the day, when all the COVID nonsense came down and they were locking people up in their homes and they were forcing people to be vaccinated against their will and telling the unvaccinated that they couldn't go to restaurants or take their kids to sporting game, you know, sporting events and all the rest of it. You know, they were using one, public health as an excuse. And two, they were um, uh, using, uh, you know, that excuse as the, you know, as the justification for infringing everybody's rights. So what we see now, and in that same document, Teresa Tam is touting lockable cities. So here me, 15 minute cities, um, you know, and all of these other crazy ideas that they're, you know, that they're promoting, you know, as answers to climate change that can now be mandated Uh, through public health so you know as far as it goes I'm you know this is something that people need to wake up to at the start of COVID when the lockdowns happened a lot of us were saying oh yeah just watch it's right now it's 15 days to stop the spread and in a couple of years it's going to be 90 day lockdown to save the planet
0: right that's Mm -hmm. where
1: we're that's where we're going with this and I
0: think be alive to this imagine uh, 15 years ago 20 years ago if people said hey, Jeff, you know, the government is going to shut down businesses. They're going to tell businesses that they can't operate because it's not safe for them to operate. And not just one or two, but all of them. They're going to tell people they can't fly. They're going to tell them they can't leave the province. They're going to tell them they can't uh, leave their city. And everybody would have said, no, that's not true. That can't happen. We have a constitution. We have charter rights and freedoms. We live in a free country. However, all those things aside, which I don't really believe much of that anymore anyway, the government literally used health... As a means to do uh, to, to, to in, enforce government policy that they wanted, like we in your uh, um, in the in the CM case with the, with the uh, where where Henshaw was getting was was in court overtaking the mass of the kids. It was found that Henshaw provided the smorgasbord of policy for the government to make a decision on, right? And the government took that power that the Health Act offered and used it to in, to in, enforce their own policies. So now we're seeing Teresa Tam, the federal chief medical officer of health, alluding to using health and it's for your health and follow the science to implement some of these draconian policies that are just conspiracy theories right now. Well, and again,
1: I I go beyond conspiracy theories. I think we're now at a point where we've seen enough out of these people to know that they're conspiracy facts,
0: right? Absolutely.
1: You know, it's, you know the way that they behaved with, you know, seizing, you know, uh, single moms' bank accounts because they donated fifty dollars to the convoy. You know, invoking the Emergencies Act. Uh, you know, in the face of peaceful protests. Uh, you know, all of the other ridiculous things that they've been doing. Every time we turn around, you know, labeling anybody that questions government policy, you know, as an extremist. You know, et cetera, et cetera. I mean this is what the government is doing. And they're, you know, they're in the business of propaganda and they're in the business of doing things that nobody would have, you know, 20 years ago would have dreamt that a Canadian government would do. Like, you know, like, I, I, one of the examples that nobody in the media picks up on or has really done a deep dive into, but I really believe that they should, is, you know, the, you know nobody wants to talk about that prior to the last federal election in 2021, Trudeau unleashed the psychological warfare command Of the canadian army on the canadian public you know they were interested in messaging with the canadian government uh you know continuing to drive a fear-based propaganda campaign against people and you know the message was you know not too subtle you better support the government support justin trudeau with the lockdowns and the forced vaccinations and all this other garbage or the rest are you're all gonna die i mean it was all histrionic uh hysterical nonsense That was, you know, literally being driven as an excuse to take people's rights away and to push people towards re-electing a complete moron to government.
0: Yeah, and what you're saying about that propaganda that the government and the military did, the psychological warfare, they did that in conjunction with a federal uh, pseudo ministry called the Behavioral Sciences Department. And the Behavioral Sciences Department, for those of you that don't know, they are tasked with uh, propaganda. They, they are to nudge Canadians, that's their words, to nudge Canadians into moving the direction that the government wants them to go. So you can compare this to, you know, some of you will find it unpalatable, but it's the easiest one to, to bring up, Nazi Germany. The Nazis used propaganda, uh, Hitler subsidized radio so he could put the propaga- his propaganda in everybody's home. The government did these things to make people do horrible things and uh, allow horrible things to happen. And now our government is doing the same thing, albeit not putting people in boxcars, but segregating, dividing, um, causing people to hate each other, with a government, uh, a, a government pseudo ministry, with our tax dollars. So this whole idea that uh, it's you know the military in conjunction with our own government is doing things, things these things to us should be enough to wake every single Canadian up, but it hasn't been so far, and that's very disturbing.
1: Well, you know, and again, like, you know, the other, you know, the other, you know, things that Theresa Tam, you know, appears to be frightened of and she alleges are causing climate change, you know, colonization and racism. Let's leave racism alone for a minute because I don't think anybody, you know, nobody, nobody that we know, you know, is a racist or agrees with, you know, any form of racist thought. But this idea that somehow colonization drives climate change. Well, wait a minute. What does that have to do with Canada? Like individual Canadians aren't colonizing anybody. Nobody in Alberta is colonizing anyone. And, you know, and if we have a, you know, if we have an imperial colonial power in Canada, it's Justin Trudeau's government and Theresa Tam's a representative of that colonial power, you know, seeking to colonize Alberta, you know, taking rights away from the provincial, you know, government. Uh, Cutting off funds to the provincial government, stripping the provincial government of resources through, um, you know, so-called equalization payments, you know, having having it so that Alberta, you know, runs deficits and, and, you know, and has debt while Quebec has surplus budgets because of the, you know, $10 billion a year that's sucked out of Alberta and equalization payments and given to Quebec to subsidize, you know, socialism in Quebec. I mean, if there's a colonial power in this pro- in this country, it's represented by Teresa Tam, not the rest of us.
0: Yeah, for sure. And so she's identified what she says is the problem, driving climate change and in turn impacting health. So she's tied these things together in such a way that eventually I'm sure that it's going to be for your health that you have to live in a 15 minute city or for your health that you can't drive an automobile or for your health that you can't eat beef anymore. Um, well, no solutions, though.
1: That's what people need to get through their head, right? Is that all of this is being done to people very intentionally, right? They're driving up, you know, adding thirty percent to people's gas bills, so they can't afford to heat the homes that they live in, and they have to consider selling their home and moving into an apartment for you know, their health. Driving up the price of gasoline on, you know, on cars and trucks, so people can't afford to go to work anymore. know the whole concept of these so-called 15-minute cities and i mean they're really rebelling against it in the places where they've actually implemented them as opposed to just putting the infrastructure in you know in oxford in the united kingdom you know they've got it set up with all these cameras so if you know you leave your little 15-minute zone um by any of the uh prohibited access or egress points eg the easiest ways in and out of your neighborhood by car with a vehicle more than the allotted number of times a week that the government says you can, then you're fined £75 every time you do it. So it's effectively a new carbon tax being imposed on working men and women who need to go to work or who need to travel freely by car without some bureaucrat telling them not to. And, of course, that's what Theresa Tam wants to impose on Canada. And you know, and again, think about that, right? These 50, so-called 15-minute 50 cities—it's based on how far you can walk in 15 minutes. I don't know about you, Chris, but I'm not walking more than 100 yards at minus 40. Well,
0: like, I can barely—I can barely walk down the block <laughs> now. Eat somebody French fries, but that's another story.
1: But you know, you know what I mean. Like we're talking—we live in a country where you know, the, you know, the the temperatures get are below zero for a good chunk of the year. But they're suggesting that everybody should walk everywhere um, you know 365 days of the year when we all know that's ridiculous the, you know the other thing is whether you're unionized or non-unionized what does that do to your ability to find work and to have freedom you know of employment um if you know you're only able to walk to work i mean in effect what we're creating is little 15 minute feudal states where you know little feudal territories where large corporations like Starbucks or Walmart or whatever is going to have a captive labor pool of people that can only get to work by bus or by walking. Right. And, you know, limiting their choices, uh, you know, of employment. You're not going, you know, you're not going to work in the oil patch and you're not going to work, uh, you know, um, outside of town or anywhere else. If you're going to have to pay a set, you know, a $75 or a hundred dollar fine. Every time you leave your community by one of the prohibited, you know, one of the streets that has a prohibited camera on it. You know, yep. and this is, yep. this is what they're doing. Like, and, well, and I- the, thing, the thing that's really galling to me is that all of this infrastructure is being put in place without anybody having voted on it, without any referendum, and it's all being done by weasley little bureaucrats within municipal administrations or within the highway department in Alberta or whatever, right? without anybody understanding the implications of it, like, as an example, where I live, right. We have traffic lights at 37th street and highway 22, and we now have traffic lights and light cameras in Brad Creek. So you literally can't drive into town in either direction without going through a light, you know, and the way that those things are set up is it's not a big stretch for, you know, three years in the future when Teresa Tam is, you know, now the official dictator of Canada to know that those traffic lights are going to be used to tell you that you're only allowed to go into town two or three times a week. And if you go into town more than twice a day, you're now going to be fined $100 for every time you go into town. Because heaven forbid, you know, unlike Justin Trudeau, who can puke jet fuel all over us on Justin Trudeau ignores Indigenous People Day when he goes surfing in Tofino, right? The rest of us are being made prisoners of our farms, homes, towns, neighborhoods, well, Justin Trudeau and the rest of his elite buddies get going to fly their private jets wherever they want to go.
0: And people are being convinced by the government that these things are for their own safety, the traffic cameras, and their own health. They're being educated to take a path towards their own demise, which is why um, I'm extremely proud to be part of an organization like the Alberta Prosperity Project, who wants to educate Albertans uh, with the other side, with reality, with we, we want to educate Albertans as to the how to how to how to chart a path to prosperity, not a path to destruction. So people will vote to have these things. They'll vote for 15-minute cities. They'll vote for um, uh, uh, health. They'll vote for for health. What do they call them? Mo- mobile health units to knock on people's doors and stick needles in their arms. They'll vote for this because they've been brainwashed to, to to want it well and the, and the worst of it is like nobody
1: understands that all of this climate change nonsense is a complete fraud okay and let, let me break that down for a minute okay i'm not denying that climate change is real it is real in our house we call it weather right mm-hmm. climate change is every day some days it's sunny some days it's cold some days it's warm that's climate change right but this idea that somehow or other you know, Trudeau can slap a tax on a 30% tax on your home heating bill, and that that's going to do anything to reduce the amount of CO2 in the global atmosphere is a complete nonsense, right? First of all, Canada's carbon negative. So we absorb about 30% more carbon than we emit. All Trudeau and, you know, Gibault and all of the morons around him want to talk about is how much CO2 that Canada emits um, you know, uh, emits, but nobody wants to talk about how much CO2 Canada as a country, given our landmass, you know, our prairies, the, you know, our forests, you know, water absorbs carbon, you know, all of our lakes, oceans, etc. We absorb far, far more carbon than we emit. So, first of all, Canada, even including um, in the Alberta oil and gas industry, we are not the problem in terms of increases in global CO2. The real is China and India, both China and India, increase their amount of CO, of gross CO2 output as a percentage of global total CO2 by about 10% per year, right? So to put that in perspective, and these are all Government of Canada statistics and figures, and I referenced them all in previous substacks stacks on the, on the topic, right? But from 2005 to 2022, Canada has reduced its overall CO2 output get this by 0.3 percent, okay. Conversely, again, let's get back to China and India. They have in, they increase annually their amount of CO2 output by 10 percent. So in the last period of time where Canada has reduced its output by 0.3 percent, China had, and in India have dwarfed Canada's output total or total savings by 31 times. So think about it this way, for every coal power plant we shut down in Canada, China builds hundred new ones. It's like Mm. that, okay? So any reductions that we make in Canada are purely symbolic and there is no proof whatsoever that anything that Trudeau and Jibo and all of his other little climate change fanatics uh, in Ottawa are doing to change the way of life of Canadians in Canada is impacting on global carbon By, you know, any amount whatsoever. Right. So it's all purely symbolic and we're, you know, literally killing Canadian working men and women. We're taking away freedoms that we've always taken for granted, you know, the ability to own your own car. to you know, to look for work wherever you want in the province, you know, to be mobile, to be free, to be able to travel, to be able to visit your family. You know all of those things they want to take away from us and lock everybody up in these little 15-minute surveillance ghettos where your every movement is monitored from a social credit standpoint. Um, uh, you know, in terms of your carbon output, I don't know for about your me. health. I'm not going to live that way. I refuse.
0: And so do I. So there's there's one number that any Canadian that has a lick of common sense should pay attention to. And that number is 1.5%. Canada is responsible, even if you don't consider what Jeff has mentioned about uh, how we absorb carbon dioxide in this country because it's huge. We have lots of carbon sinks, i.e. trees and algae. Even if you ignore that and you say that we're responsible for 1.5%, that leaves 98.5% of the balance other countries are responsible for. And yet our Canadian government is willing to sacrifice the lives and the futures of Canadians in their pursuit to change this i would say that it would probably be more reasonable and uh, have a better outcome if we allowed canadians to do what we do allowed albertans to do what we do and that is we innovate and we prosper like alberta has been a leader in as much as i i don't even like saying it but carbon capture i know i don't believe in it but we have innovative ways of dealing with certain problems specifically reducing emissions reducing pollution and when we do that the rest of the world sees it and they adopt it as well because they also want to do that so if we were free to pursue uh, prosperity and do those things, we would have a, a way bigger impact because we would be influencing the other 98.5% of emissions from other countries. But we don't because it's not about climate and it's not about your health. It's about control and power and a wealth transfer. And we've seen it in the last three years. It's, it's blaring, it's like it's glaringly obvious. It's not conspiracy theories. This is conspiracy facts.
1: Well, that, and that's that's it exactly. I mean, and at the end of the day, when you look at you know the ridiculous the, the the ridiculousness that they spew forth from their mouths, like this whole idea that you know that the biggest driver of climate change is heteronormativity, right? <laughs> what they're really saying is that they don't want you know they don't want people in the Western world to continue to reproduce, right? So they basically want us to stop having children. They want our society to die or stagnate. So that they can literally, you know, fill our country with overflow from you know from India and China and wherever else. And the rest of us can just, you know, can just forget about our kids having any form of, of normal life, enjoying the prosperity that we'd always worked towards having for them, because our entire country is being taken over by you know, the globalists pushing this, you know, this ridiculous climate change agenda at our at our
0: expense. As they fly around on private jets and spend ridiculous amounts of our money, it's unreal. The last Davos summit or whatever they did, um, the counter signal with Kian Bexit, he did a expose on on uh, on that. They spent like $300,000 on escorts in order to have a, uh, a summit about how to reduce our impact. Like it's absolutely asinine what they're doing. And I, I really, I think once once this information gets in front of people, they at least have to pay attention to it because it's so you, you can't deny what we're seeing right now. But until we get this out to more people through things like the Alberta Prosperity Project or even my Facebook page or Jeff Rass Substack, there's still, you know, majority of Canadians probably if if the polls ask them what are you concerned about, they're gonna say, Well, we're concerned about climate change and we're concerned about COVID 19, right? So there has to be some education in here to counter this. Well, and again, like you
1: know, let's you know let's talk about this whole climate change nonsense for a minute. Um, again, right? So when all of this stuff, you know, and I'm old enough to have remembered, you know, when the when these theories first started getting floated on TV, and they oh greenhouse gases and look at the planet Venus and they show the planet Venus with all these clouds around it, and that's mm. what's going to happen to Earth with all of these you know, all of these greenhouse gases in our atmosphere, the planet's gonna be covered in this giant cloud and all of the clouds are gonna reflect sunlight back to the planet. And we're gonna have this massive you know, greenhouse effect and we're all gonna die from heat. But, but they're going, okay, well, now, you know, we all have to worry because there's 404, you know, 404 parts per million of CO2 in the atmosphere. Well, wait a minute. That's hardly what they describe as the clouds of Venus. And I want people to think about, you know, if you had a sunblock that had an active ingredient that was diluted down to 400 parts per million and you spread it on your skin, ask yourself whether you'd still get a sunburn because I'll tell you the answer would be yes, (laughs) right? It's not blocking anything. So at 440 parts, you know, even if it gets up to 500 parts per million, you know, how much you know, how much heat or sunlight is, you know, that minuscule amount of CO2 in the atmosphere blocking from returning that radiating back out into outer space? None, right? I mean, other than, I shouldn't say none, uh, you know, the amount that it would block would be the equivalent of the percentage of, you know, the four 400, 400 or 500 parts per million, which is a minuscule percentage of anything radiating back out into outer space. So what we have is this ridiculous theory that was made up in the, in the 70s based on the fact that the entire planet could become covered with clouds like Venus. And now they've drawn this correlation to say, oh, well, you know, we haven't had carbon this high in the atmosphere for 400, you know, for 400,000 years, and I think that's what was quoted by the Supreme Court, and our temperatures have been going up. Therefore, you know, the um, carbon must be causing this. Well you know, they seem to be forgetting that all of their experts during the COVID cases would continually repeat correlation doesn't equal causation, right? Yep. You know, so just, just because they can point to that coincidental fact doesn't mean one is causing the other. And, in, you know, and in fact, everybody who studied, you know, climate science or, you know, or the planetary movement of the Earth around the sun, you know, would acknowledge that the Earth's proximity to the sun has more to do with global temperature than anything else you know like you know an example that you know my daughter and i were discussing a while ago is that five thousand years ago um you know the tops of the mountains of the yukon were warm enough that that's where all the first nations people in the yukon had their villages on the tops of the mountains and now the ice sheets are melting again and all these wonderful artifacts are coming out from underneath the ice sheets with their sinews and feathers and all of the original uh, material that held them all together intact So the government of Canada is literally sending, you know, ethno historians and archaeologists scurrying to the Yukon to follow these receding uh, ice sheets to pick up all of these artifacts. Right. But of course, what does that show us? It shows us that 5,000 years ago, the temperature in the Yukon was a hell of a lot higher than it is today. Mm -hmm. You know, we weren't weren't running diesel trucks and we weren't running, you know, we weren't burning fossil fuels and all the rest of it 5,000 years ago. When the, you know, when
0: the Yukon was substantially warmer than it is right now. Oh, but Jeff, the the cows and the bison and the buffalo were still farting and burping. So that probably (laughs) caused it. (laughs) But
1: but again, like, you know, that whole, you know, that whole nonsense, right? Like I did a calculations, I've been doing a bunch of research on this stuff. Um, You know, I raise uh, running quarter horses and cutting horses and manage, you know, a couple hundred acres of grassland, you know? So even take, you know, taking out the carbon inputs from, you know, my horses and cars and trucks and all the rest of it. I mean, I, you know, the grassland that I manage generates enough oxygen for something like 2,500 people per year, you know, that's just a couple hundred acres. Right. And, and, you know, and it absorbs, you know, an equivalent amount of CO2, you know? So, you know, you know, my, my family, my law firm, everything that I do, I'm carbon negative by the uh, by a factor of you know a, a couple thousand, right? Yet I'm still having to pay carbon tax. Why? I'm you know, like every other farmer and rancher out there, I'm one of the most carbon negative people on the planet. You know, just because of all the grassland I manage. You know, like folks, the farmers and ranchers out there that are managing thousands of acres, yep. tens of thousands of acres. And you can't tell me, you know, that the, you know, that the, you know, the, 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 grazing limits on their cattle on those grasses, that the methane exuded exude, exude by those cattle exceed in any way the amount of CO2 or methane, you know, absorbed and sequestered by the grassland they manage. I mean, all of those farmers and ranchers that are raising cattle on grass on grass should be getting carbon credits, not being kicked in the teeth with carbon tax.
0: I agree. Now, folks, just to uh, to clear things up a little bit here, I want to make this very clear. Neither Jeff nor I actually believe that we need to be net zero. This isn't what this conversation is about. We're simply saying that the logic and reasoning that the government is using to try and convince people to be less and not be prosperous um, does not hold water even by their own rules, even using their own metric. It's not that we believe in net zero. We believe that carbon dioxide is evil and should be wiped off the planet. We know it's plant food. We know we can't breathe without it. We know that uh, hundreds or thousands of years ago, it was four or five, ten times what it is right now, and the Earth wasn't on fire. We know these things. The point is that if you just, you even if you use the government's own facts, it doesn't make sense. That's where we're getting here. And I would like to take an opportunity to. Uh, If you want to know more about this particular conversation, as in uh, the net zero thing and um, fossil fuels use and this kind of thing, go to energytalkingpoints.com and check out uh, what our friend Alex Epstein has to say about this. Alex is a philosopher, actually, from Laguna Beach, California, of all places. And he wrote a book called Fossil Futures. I would encourage you to go uh, check it out. You, You can find it on Amazon, I believe. Buy the book and read it. Uh, all of these things that Jeff and I are talking about, most of them are in this book. Um, the studies on what they call the tipping point with the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere until it runs away and we burn up. Uh, there is research in, in that book, cited in that book, that says that's complete baloney. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. It plateaus and it, and it really can't go any higher because of the way the earth responds. What Jeff is saying, we have vegetation that absorbs car- carbon dioxide and stuff like that. So on the climate change issue. And why we should be using more fossil fuels to be prosperous and flourish as a, human, as, as a human species. Fossil Futures by Alex Epstein. You can find links to it and information at energytalkingpoints.com. And I would encourage you to spend a few hours on there. Check it out. Uh, read some of the stuff he has to say so that when you encounter people that, you, that, that are telling you that they're most concerned about climate change, you have, the, uh, you have the knowledge and the power to educate them as to what the truth is. So please check it out. Now, Jeff, with all we with all, go go no, said on climate change and health and that, how does this tie into what Teresa Tam wants to do?
1: Well, that's, that's the whole point. We don't know what she wants to do yet, other than when you read her last report on, you know, entitled Mobilizing Public Health Action in Canada for Climate Change, right? She's, you know, she's beating the drums of hysteria again. It's the steady boom, 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 boom. Be afraid, be afraid. We're all going to die Cli- this is the direct quote from the her paper climate change is the single biggest health threat facing humanity and livability on the planet that's according to Teresa Town, right so obviously if it's the biggest health threat and it's the you know the uh, facing humanity we they need to be able to do anything to stop it they need to be able to lock us in our homes like they did with covid they need to be able to lock us in little 50-minute surveillance ghettos. They, you know, they need to be able to take our, expropriate our property. They need to be able to shut our trucks down. They need to be able to ration fuel. You know, all of those, you know, they need to be able to tell farmers that they can't use fertilizer anymore. You know, whatever stupidity they come up with, you know, because it's the single biggest threat facing Canada in the world, you know, that, you know, that that's what they're going to do. But of course what they're really doing all they're really doing is transferring wealth and transferring prosperity from Canada to China and India and all of the other BRICS nations that are exempt from all this bullshit because they're so called developing nations. So, you know, who'd build a fa- who wants to build a factory in Canada anymore? Because we have all these climate change taxes, ESG regulations, all of this regulatory and tax burden you know in the name of, of climate change that aren't being imposed in all of these other jurisdictions so they're taking away our factories they're taking away our jobs they're taking away most importantly our ability to be self-sufficient and giving all of the control of our entire society and our prosperity to China and if we, you know and if we know anything you know or if we've seen anything about the communist regime in China they, you know, they're there for the Politburo and they're there for themselves and for global hegemony. They're not there for the individual prosperity or the individual, you know, wealth, health and happiness of individual Canadians. That's obviously not their mandate. But of course, you know, we have a prime minister, you know, in the same way that the United States now has a president that's bought and paid for by China. we, You know, we're learning more and more about the degree to which... Trudeau's been bought off, bribed, paid out, you know, for, you know uh, by China. I mean, you know, we find out the Trudeau Foundation, you know, just paid for his $162,000 holiday to Jamaica, right? Well, that's great. So China pays for Trudeau's, you know, Jamaican holiday through the Trudeau Foundation, and the rest of us are left, left scratching our heads as to why the hell our lives are becoming so miserable, you know, with all these, you know, high taxes, uh, you know, uh, 30% increases in our heating costs, fuel costs, I mean, God, I went in, I went into the grocery store the other day, and it's eight dollars for a freaking grapefruit, you know, in a grocery store in seven Seven ninety nine for a grapefruit, you know. This and this is all thanks to Trudeau and Biden and all of this climate foolishness, you know, of destroying, you know, uh, North American energy independence, uh, you know, locking in Alberta oil, making, you know, uh, you know, driving the price of oil back towards hundred dollars a barrel. This is all being caused by these idiots. And it's to our detriment and the benefit of Vladimir Putin and China, you know, who are working hand in glove. I mean, I thought it was really fitting the day that the international court in the Hague declared Putin a war criminal, that Chairman Xi was shaking hands with him in Moscow. You know, like, why aren't the same sanctions, you know, being levied against Russia, being levied against China? You know, I mean, mm. certainly Chairman because Xi is China are accessories after the fact. We're you
0: addicted know, to dollar stores and Walmart, here. that's why. What's that? We're addicted to dollar stores and Walmart. That's why there's no sanctions against China.
1: <laughs> but again, I mean, all of that, you know, we need to elect a government that's willing to make all of that stock. We need to start manufacturing drugs in Canada again. We need to become energy self-sufficient. We need to, you know, do all of those things. You know, we need to be, you know, manu- you know, completely, manu- you know, we need to manufacture microchips in Canada. We need to take control of our supply chains again. You know, instead of, you know, transferring money to billionaires through the World Economic Forum and into China for the benefit of the billionaires in China at the expense of Canadian citizens. You know, I mean, we're literally being sold down the river in the name of climate change and people need to wake up. And, you know, like I said in my recent paper, they need to wake up and smell the coffee, you know, because that's what's going on here.
0: Yeah, there's there's a common denominator to to deal with both of those issues. uh, And I'm not going to say climate change. I'll say pollution to reduce pollution and create healthy environments, and to elevate people out of poverty, the number one way to do that is provide the people with an affordable source of energy. Number one, bar none, nothing has ever changed the face of this planet, the face of humanity, as our access to cheap, affordable energy has. So, you know, that's exactly the opposite of what Teresa Tam is saying. Now, I, I want to ask you something. So you mentioned she said something about mobilizing health. Uh, what did she say, mobilizing? How did that go?
1: Oh, mobilizing public health action in Canada
0: is the title. Mobilizing over. public. So let's break that down for a second. So when we talk about mobilizing something, so the image in my mind, I, I think of a, a battlefield and we're going to mobilize an army to do something. We're going to accomplish something. We're going to work towards a goal. What would you – Why? can you think of anything in the last three years where they where they – Mobilized a health agency to implement government policy they wanted to do. Can you think? Of well, that's
1: but, but that's what the last three years has been all about. That like we've literally been, you know, been the subject of a medical dictatorship, a public health dictatorship in Canada, where every time we turn around, every single aspect of our lives, as you well know, Chris, still being in court, you know, is being dictated to us by public health bureaucrats. Right. So. You know like you know remember dina hinshaw i mean she even you know and this is what i started getting involved was you know in the ingram case got filed. she was telling adults in Alberta how many friends they were allowed to have prior to christmas
0: they were I mean, telling I, people how to have sex jeff
1: oh i mean i mean that was the level of stupidity that we were dealing with oh i remember that i mean you know there you know there's dr fauci you know telling everybody it's great you can go have sex in glory holes but heaven forbid <laughs> heaven forbid <laughs> that, you know, the normal heterosexual people engage in any form of face-to-face contact.
0: Because that causes climate change.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, I mean, the stuff is literally so stupid that you can't make it up. I mean, you know, and of course, Teresa Tav's paper, I mean, some of it, you know, like, uh, you know, some of it just kind of fizzled out. Like, remember the great monkey pox scare, right? Like, that didn't go anywhere. I mean, you know. They didn't
0: name it right.
1: You know, but, it, but again, like, you know, Omicron wasn't scary enough. They thought they'd come up with a real scary name. It's like, oh, whatever. The Kraken. You know, we can't call it this because that sounds too cute and fuzzy, but call it Omicron, right? But of course, what they didn't realize, and I was laughing, like honestly laughing at the time, because as you know, I've been doing a lot of this litigation and had been working with a lot of um, actual experts in immunology and virology pathology and health right so you know because I've been following all of this when I first when I saw the first outbreak of Omicron and we all realized that it was a really really transmissible it was largely occurring in people that had been vaccinated the people that were vaccinated were more likely to get Omicron than not and that eventually everybody was going to get Omicron and um, you know and become immune to it I was laughing, literally, like, in November of 2021, I was talking to some of my experts, and I said, I don't know what everybody's so bitter and twisted about. I said Omicron is actually the cure for COVID, yep. <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's going to spread everywhere, vaccinated and unvaccinated. Everybody's going to get it, and the COVID pandemic's going to be over, just like all previous pandemics. I mean, you know, God has sent us a cure for COVID, and let's all just thank him for it and move on. And sure enough, that's the way it worked out. Omicron was the cure for COVID, and... <laughs> You know, as a result, you know, like all of these, all even though they're still pushing the vaccines, we don't need them anymore. Nobody's getting sick anymore because everybody that was going to get it got it and all have natural immunity from, you know, having gotten Omicron and recovered rather than those stupid vaccines that are making people sick. Right?
0: Well, there, there are still people that get COVID. There are still people that are struggling with it. But the difference is, it's not being talked about. You don't hear about it on the news. The government's oh, no, not no. talking about it. The premier's no. not talking about it. And it's life as per normal, right?
1: Well, no, but you know why you're not hearing about it and people aren't talking about it? By and large, the people that are getting it and the people that are still getting sick from it have had multiple vaccines, right? So their ah, immune
0: systems are that's shot. That's not a narrative that we want no, to no, hear, no. is that's, it?
1: That's not a narrative they want to talk about. Their immune systems are shot. So, you know, if there's a little bit of COVID floating around, they're going to get it. Those of us with healthy, natural immune systems, we're not getting sick. I'm, you know, I'm healthier than I've ever been, right? And uh, you know, and, and I know all the people that I know that are unvaccinated, super healthy. Everybody know that I know that's been vaccinated has had COVID two, three, four, five times. Yeah. You know, it's just ridiculous. And then on top of it, right? I don't know a single person who died from COVID, but right now I know probably 20 people who've been
0: horribly vaccine injured. Yeah, right and i suppose you're hearing more and more of that all the time you're probably uh working a little bit with leighton on that aren't
1: you it's heartbreaking and i mean look at some of the stuff in the news right like you know there's that uh, you know that uh, woman in lethbridge that you know that just got a settlement from so she has a documented vaccine injury and my recollection is that she's got pretty serious paralysis on the left side of her body that they've all agreed you know came from a vaccine and she's one of the poor people that listened to Dina Hinshaw and followed Dina Hinshaw's example and took Dina Hinshaw's special vaccine buffet, where she took a shot of AstraZeneca, a shot of Moderna, and then a shot of Pfizer. None of that was tested for safety. But Dina, oh, the Dina Hinshaw standing up publicly, oh, that's what I'm doing, and I think that's better than nothing. No, that combination of vaccines was never tested. There not a vaccine company in the world that spends millions of dollars trying to see how their vaccines interact with other vaccines I mean I wonder how many people in this country have been horribly vaccine injured because they you know they followed along with you know uh, Dina hinshaw and her little personal vaccine experiment and signed up for Dina hinshaw's vaccine buffet right I mean like you know the level of ridiculousness and unsafe downright danger- dangerous and negligent advice, that came out of the chief medical officers of health in this country, you know, is something that should be investigated from a criminal standpoint.
0: And now we have another chief medical officer of health on a federal scale using the same kind of verbiage. So would it? I'm, I'm going to bring this back to uh, uh, Teresa Tam's comments here. So would it be fair to make the observation that Teresa Tam may in fact be talking about mobilizing current legislation in order to, implement government policy that they want to implement at the uh at at the demand of outside influences one of them being the world economic forum and the united nations oh i'm you
1: know i wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me one bit and my concern is that they don't use legislation right i mean all of the all you know all of the stuff that went on through covid wasn't done through legislation. It was done through emergency public health orders, right? Mm -hmm. And now we've got Tam beating the drum again. Boom, 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 boom. Be afraid, be afraid, right? Greatest public health threat ever. Humanity's gonna die. We're all gonna die. We're all gonna die, right? And you know, beating that drum again, and then the, the only way to stop us from dying we're at a tipping point our experts it's not 12 years anymore it's next year and you all have to you know we've got a you know we got to you know lock down for 90 days to to stop the fire or whatever the new slogan is going to be right you know they're going to concoct some bullshit emergency and then just start spewing forth public health orders you know i mean that's what you know that's what i'm afraid of and i mean they've, done it once. they've you know, basically run, you know, COVID as some sort of sick table exercise, you know, like they do. And now they think that they've got the answer to all of this, which is that they're now gonna, you know, claim that, you know, the climate change is a public health crisis. And that we just need to turn this over to the doctors again, because the doctors, we can trust the doctors.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So right
1: now, I mean, I, I know a lot of doctors they are ashamed of their profession, and are, you know, quite frankly, disgusted with the number of doctors that have literally become complicit in, you know, the destruction of civil liberties and the gross malpractice that's gone on, you know, over the last three years in this country.
0: So let's talk about solutions. The federal government is be- is beating the drum and, uh, in my opinion, they're alluding to using um using this idea as a way to implement policies that we don't want. Like, this is not something people vote on. This is not something people say, hey, government, we want to be regulated harder. We want to be locked down. We want 15-minute cities. We want to lose our prosperity in the name of climate change. We don't ask for these things. And Alberta certainly doesn't. So what's the solution for Alberta, Jeff? What, What do we need to do to get some leverage against the federal government that wants to go down that path?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, by, from my perspective, you know, everybody in this province needs to get their head around how much more prosperous and free we would be if we would simply vote to leave Canada. I mean, the time has come, right? You know, if Theresa Tam says that the you know the biggest threat to life on this planet is colonization, well, I think it's time to vote to end the you know the colonial rule of Ottawa over over Alberta. I mean, in that regard, like with her more and I don't want Teresa Tam as my colonial master anymore because quite frankly I don't I think she's grossly incompetent and when you read her comments on the fact that ableism and heteronormativity are the two main drivers of climate change I think she's delusional I mean I think she you know I've actually talked to a psychiatrist about this and what he says is that these people are you know are you know exhibiting a form of narcissism that's bordering on the pathological, if not psychopathic, and you know they're almost engaged in a form of psychotic delusion. You know they, they start the,
0: believing their own lies.
1: Oh well, I mean, just this nonsense that somehow or other that you know that heterosexuals are to blame for climate change. I mean, that's so far out of left field. I don't even know what to say. You know, I'd love to hear Teresa Tab explain it. I mean, I was actually sent. I sent my MP this morning a, a proposed question for question period. You know to the prime minister. It's like, you know, Mr. Prime Minister, can you please advise as to whether you agree with, you know, um, Theresa Tam that heteronormativity is the primary cause of climate change, or would you agree that having the Chinese pay for one hundred and sixty-two thousand dollars vacations in Jamaica is likely a greater cause of climate change? Right? No like, kidding. You know, I mean, I mean, we we simply need to get rid of, you know, politicians that pay lip service to these things. We need to rid the bureaucracy of people like Theresa Tam. And it's going to be a hard job. I mean, good God, if Rachel Notley gets elected in this province, we're going to have another five years of her putting, you know, these lunatics in power because the, the ones she put in power last time are the ones that have been slowly building the smart city infrastructure without anybody's authority, you know, putting up the, you know, putting up the cameras, Um, you know, signing up, you know, like the city of red beer has been signed up as a world economic forum, uh, smart city. Nobody else council voted for that. You know, the bureaucrats within the city administration did it on their own initiative without any authority from the elected representatives. That's what's going on. So, you know, so we need legislation to roll back the power of the bureaucracy. We need legislation amending the Alberta interpretation act to make it clear to the courts that where citizens' rights are at issue, you know, the standard of reasonableness for the bureaucracy no longer applies and that the bureaucrat or are infringing on the right of a citizen needs to prove that their, you know, that their decision was objectively correct on a standard of correctness on the basis that real harms existed, you know, far beyond, um, you know, the regulated activity. I mean, you know, there needs to be some real strong changes to our legislation to make sure that the Charter of Rights, the Bill of Rights, you know, and our common law rights as free citizens of a common law country aren't continually eroded by bureaucrats who control unlimited legal budgets to grind us all into the dust. I mean, how many lawyers did the government of Alberta marshal against you the other day,
0: Chris? Yeah, (laughs) Quite uh, quite the SWAT team of lawyers. It was pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, and so, you know, I mean, how many hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars is the government of Alberta spending persecuting you? You know, and they're persecuting you on the basis of orders the Justice Dunlop has said we're ultra virus Dina Hinshaw. You know, I, you know, I'm just so disappointed that uh, in Daniel Smith for not ordering copying and ordering uh, Shandro to bring an end to this foolishness. You know, you have no idea, unfortunately, and I, you know, and I mean that. I mean. You know, we have to re-elect Danielle Smith because if Rachel Motley were in power, it'll be a hundred times worse. You know, so, we need to take back our province and we've got to get these people out of out of power and out of control.
0: I agree. I'm going to elaborate on that a little bit. So we were going to be exactly one hour. So we're going to be over by a couple minutes. So Walter, I hope you don't, uh, I'm going to extend our hard stop of an hour here, just but you'll see why. I want to read this comment from Marilyn. It says, I simply have no faith left in any Canadian institution. Our rule of law has been corrupted by cowardice, our diplomacy slaughtered by a dimwit, and our democracy now bastardized. Those things are all true. But everything that you've mentioned there, Marilyn, um, that's not necessarily the fault of the politicians. That's our fault. That's my fault. It's possibly your fault, maybe a little bit of Jeff's fault. It's a collective team failure as Canadians to exercise our duty to preserve and protect our democracy. That's the facts. If we had been more involved and engaged in policy and preventing these things in the first place, we probably wouldn't be in the situation, but that doesn't matter, this is where we are now. Now, how do we get out of it? Well, obviously we don't do the same things that we've always done, because if we expect different results from that, that would mean that we are insane. So we have to do something different that's never been done before. Jeff mentioned we need to change legislation, I agree. And if you agree, then please go back and watch some more of these webinars, Um, come to an APP meeting, And we will tell you how we can do this. We can do it. If we get involved, we show up and we have some leverage. And Jeff alluded to this a little bit ago, but uh, I believe that Alberta needs to be step out of confederation. However, there is the, 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 it might work out that we have a referendum on independence and Alberta says, Canada, if you're going to go this direction, this anti-human, anti-people path, we're not going with you. And unless you change these things, we're leaving. They might just say, okay, well, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to leave your sovereign jurisdiction alone. We're not going to mobilize uh, the health agencies to try and implement our policies. We're going to leave your rights and freedoms intact. We're going to um, uh, observe the Canadian Charter Rights and Freedoms as it was intended. If they did that, then that's great. We can do it. But they probably won't. The The... The key here is to have the leverage to do the things we need to do, to fix the laws that need to be fixed, to demand the federal government get out of our lives and leave us alone and and keep our constitutional rights intact. We can do that with a referendum. So please, if you haven't already, go to the APP website, Walter's gonna put it up on the screen here in a moment, and get your membership or renew it. Things have been kind of strange and turbulent in the past few months, but that's the way it is with uh, anything. There's always growing pains. Pay attention to what's going on and support uh, organizations like the APP that are trying to educate Albertans as to how we can get ourselves out of this mess because we can do it. And all we have to do is show up. We've seen that over the last couple of years. People have started showing up to things. They're engaged in democracy. They're civically engaged and we're turning things around, albeit very slowly. We can do this as long as uh, we're working together towards some sort of truth. So please go over to the website, get a membership. Uh, get some more information, watch some more videos, do whatever you have to do. And if there's something you disagree on, put, get the questions up there on the website. Um, come to a meeting and ask them and and whoever's there, if I'm there, we will do our absolute best to answer your questions. Do you have anything on that, Jeff?
1: No I'm just, I, I agree. I mean all of
0: us need to work together and we
1: need to you know, stop electing you know like stop electing politicians that are willing to enslave us. I mean because that's what that's what they are doing. You know, and in this in this province, you know, we've all got to come together and make sure that Rachel Notley does not get elected, because I can tell you the amount of damage that is going to happen to this province in the next five years with uh, Rachel Notley as premier and all of her, you know, and her ability to continue to put um, uh, more and more and more bureaucrats into power that are going to rule every rule and ruin every aspect of our lives will almost be unlimited. So, I mean, we've all got to work together. We've all got to understand that, uh, um, you know, we are at a tipping point in this province. And if we don't turn it around, we're
0: all going to be sitting here a couple of years from now wondering what
1: the hell's happened to our lives.
0: Yeah. And, you know, today is the first day of the rest of your life. And uh, as far as time travel goes, this moment that you're in right now, this is the farthest you can go back in the past. So have you ever been like me and, and thought to yourself, man, I wish I could go back this amount of years or that amount of years, Uh, Maybe you did, but you landed here. So let's do something different and change our outcome. And we can absolutely change our outcome. In the banner here at the bottom says independence and sovereignty is the only way to save Alberta. Get your APP membership at www.albertaprosperityproject.com. Somebody in the comments asked a question. uh, Will the Sovereignty Act fix all these things or something to that effect? Or will the Sovereignty Act result in separation? Here's my answer. The Alberta Sovereignty Act will do one of two things it will fix everything and Albertans will be happy or it won't fix everything and we'll realize we need to do something more. I believe we're going to realize we need to do something more because the federal government's not going to stop. So we need to be prepared. We need to be, um, uh, you you need to get registered, register your intent to vote yes on a referendum. That's the key here. I would jump in and add too that everybody
1: needs to tell their MLAs that it's time to amend the Alberta Referendum Act. Yes. and you know, and a referendum on sovereignty should be held with ten thousand signatures, because you That's know that
0: be Bill One.
1: There needs to be a referendum. What is wrong with telling any government in this province what your views are on this important issue? You know, if we're all adults, we should be able to register, you know, our wishes in a binding way on the government. Uh, you know, anytime we and our fellow citizens feel that you know, feel, you know, feel that it's important mm-hmm. to do so. And given what we're dealing with right now, there's no issue more important to Alberta than deciding whether or not we're going to free ourselves, you know, from the colonial, you know, from the colonial powers in Ottawa that are continuing to try to destroy our lives and our prosperity.
0: And I can say that even the premier knows that. Even the premier agrees with that. She mentioned to me once, I said, well, you know, this uh, citizens initiative referendum, the, the triggers are pretty outlandish. It's going to be hard to do. And she agreed with me and she said, yeah, one of the things that she wants to do is to amend that so that it's easier to get a referendum on the table. Because why shouldn't the government, why should the government be afraid to ask the people of Alberta anything with any amount of signatures? Why they shouldn't be scared of direct democracy. So knowing that uh, what Jeff has just said, that that's something we need to do. And knowing that our premier has stated that she is on board with doing that, let's hold her feet to the fire. Let's hold your MLA's feet to the fire and tell them that you want that bill on the table. If fewer than 100
1: people in the legislature can get together and make laws, why shouldn't 10,000 citizens be able to sign a petition and demand that a question be put to a vote? What are they afraid of? That's what I want to know. You know, what are they afraid of? Are they afraid that if they put this to a vote and this, this issue is really, really debated and people understand how prosperous Alberta would be if we were independent, like people in this province need to understand, if we were independent today, we would have the highest GDP per capita in the world in mm-hmm. Alberta. You know that that's being taken away from us and being denied us by a colonial power in Ottawa that literally steals all of our money to subsidize their votes in Quebec and the 905 belt around Toronto. You know enough is enough. We need to stop being you know a, a colony of Laurentian elites.
0: And they're being fake, ideological-driven climate change warriors and pseudo health advocates, um, or so they say, while they take the, our rights and freedoms and prosperity away from us. Yeah,
1: so, just sort of a final thought. Years ago, and I heard this from a friend from Eastern Europe, and they said, "Oh yeah, this climate change stuff. We've been following it from the you know from the outset. We referred all the climate change people as watermelons." Said watermelons. I said, "Oh yeah, red on the, green on the outside, red on the inside. They're really just communists, (laughs) right?" I mean, we're dealing with, and people need to wake up and get their heads around that. I mean, this this is the world that they're the road that they're taking us down, and it's not a path to prosperity.
0: It is not. Marxism, socialism, communism—those, all those things. It's all. uh... different word for the same thing has all been ushered in in the name of safety it's always for your own good it's always for your own safety Um, it's getting somebody else to protect you and save you from a made up uh, a made up enemy and we we can't fall for it again so with that i'm going to say thank you very much jeff we only went over four hours i think that's pretty good and uh, we should definitely do this again because this was a great talk and i know we could probably go on for another hour
1: Anyway,
0: it was a real pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me on, and always a pleasure to chat with you. All the best. Over and out. Thanks, Jeff. Hey, look at that. Follow our host, Chris Scott, at www.facebook.com slash Uh Yeah, come to the cafe, check out the website, follow the Chris and Kerry show. We try and get uh, as many of these things with interesting and uh, intelligent amazing guests as we can because we've realized that at the core of all of this is a it's ignorance the the way the government can do these things to us is if we remain ignorant of facts and we're uneducated in reality so let's do everything we can to get this information out to as many people as we can so we can turn the tide on it so people will start asking for prosperity instead of asking for communism night everybody